Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Would you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 3? We're going to pick up where we left off last time in this Bible study. I think it's a timely one for where we are in light of what's happening around us. Acts chapter 3, we're going to pick up in verse 11, and I titled our Bible study, Many Shall See God's Work in You. Many Shall See God's Work in You. And maybe you've heard this phrase before. It goes something like this. There's a lot of variations to it, but it goes something like this. Believers are the only Bibles that some people will ever read. And there's a variation like your life is the only Bible that some people will believe. I don't think that's entirely accurate, but I do, I do enjoy the perspective. I think it's a great illustration that our lives are on display. And you and I, we represent Christianity to a watching world, either in a positive way or a negative way. Your life my life, represent Jesus to those that are around us. And a lot of what people think about Christianity and Christians has come from watching our lives, watching the life of the church. I mean, think about this for a second. I know we mention it a lot and we kind of joke about it, and it's fine to joke about it, but you know how people will say, you know, I don't go to church because it's filled with hypocrites. And then the joke is, of course, we're all, of course it is. You know, we're all, but we, there's hypocrisy in all of our lives. And we go, ha ha, we want to be and grow in that area. It's true. But I want you to consider this for a second. That someone coming to the conclusion that the church is filled with hypocrites most likely came from dealing with hypocrisy in a Christian, a person. Maybe your life. Maybe mine. There's certainly hypocrisy in my life. And you know, it's not always on purpose. It's not always like, oh, I want to wake up in the morning and be the biggest hypocrite that I can. But it comes from the battle of the spirit and the flesh. It it comes from that place where, you know, I want to follow Christ, but my flesh, it wars against my spirit. And we start making decisions. And before you know it, we are living a life of hypocrisy. And that's not okay. Because it is what people see. And it is what people conclude. You know, it's that, that sense why I have no problem with Jesus, but I have a lot of problem with his followers. Well, why don't we really pay attention to our own personal walk and be one less hypocrite somebody needs to deal with? One less person that is living a life inconsistent with what would be expected in a person following Christ. Many people are watching our lives. We were going to read a psalm, we didn't, but let me... Let me read to you the psalm that I chose today in Psalm 40. And just listen to it. It's a beautiful psalm of salvation from David. He's declaring his joy of being delivered. And he says this in Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. And he also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He's put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God, and listen to what he says. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. All that God is doing in your life, all that God was doing in David's life, all that God's doing in my life, many will see it. 
How about I change that a little bit and say many do see it, but many will see it and will learn to fear God. And a whole life change can take place in someone else because of your testimony, because of the power of God through you. Many will see it. And that's what's happening here in chapter three of the book of Acts. Many people are seeing God's work in this man that was lame, who was healed. Many people are seeing it. God is getting, again, the attention of many in that area around the temple. And you'll remember in our time last time, we learned how Peter and John were just headed to what we would call today, they're just headed to church. They're headed to the temple for a prayer meeting. And they're walking by this man that was laid at the gate every day. There's a good chance that they've seen him and known him. But this day was different. It's almost as if there was this impression of God. It was almost like God dropped into Peter's heart. You know what, Peter? I want you to stop right now. I want to heal that man. And it's a word of knowledge that we learn in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And with that word of knowledge, what does Peter do? He stops. He goes, as the guy's asking him for money, he stops. He zeroes, look at me. And he tells him, silver and gold I don't have. But I'll tell you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he grabs him and pulls him up. Which I think at that moment, God gave him a manifestation of faith to obey that command, because that was a wild time. And what could have been seen as an interruption? What could have led to frustration? What could have been even usually, you know, I don't have time for you now, I'm going to a prayer meeting, I'm doing something spiritual, I'm doing something religious, I'll get back to you. No, none of that. He stops, he obeys the prompting and the leading of the Holy Spirit, and God heals that man. And let's just be clear, let's make it abundantly clear God healed that man, not Peter. Peter is merely the instrument, just the instrument. It is God that healed him. So with that in mind, pick up with me in verse 11 of Acts chapter 3. You got this guy leaping, praising God, clinging to Peter and John. So check this out. Verse 11, he says, Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. <clears throat> so when Peter saw it, so Peter just witnessed the miracle, and now he witnesses everybody running in this large crowd coming. When Peter sees this, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this, and why do you look so intently at us? as though by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk. Now let's pause there because something important is happening. There's a, a recognition of God's power interrupting lives, gathering attention. Peter sees it. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And now again, he takes this divine appointment and chooses to address the crowd with the gospel. He's going to tell them about the condition of their life. They're so concerned about the condition of this man that was healed. They're, they're so concerned and amazed and surprised and shocked by it all. But God is more concerned about them. And this is his divine appointment for them. The lame man is super excited. But actually the lame man, he's being used for all of them. And so notice what he says. He has two questions. Two questions that he poses to them. The first one is, why are you surprised by this? That's what the word marvel is. Why are you so shocked by it? Well, why? And why is that an important question? Because these guys were religious. 
They study the scriptures. They're, where are they? They're in the same region of the temple where that was the religious center of Israel. So they're there religiously. They're there following God. And what does he ask? Why are you guys so surprised? The same God you were, this is what God does. God heals people. Why, why are you shocked by it? Why is this such a big deal to you? That's a great question. Number two is even a greater question. And he says, why are you guys, why are you looking at us? Why, why are you looking so intently at us as though it was our power and our godliness that we made this man walk? You see, Peter understands something that you and I need to understand, and that is he is in a very dangerous place. This, this, this moment in time is one of the most dangerous times in Peter's entire life. It wasn't under great duress. It wasn't under great persecution. It wasn't when he was wrestling with whether he believed or not or doubting. This is one of the most dangerous times in his entire life. And the danger lies on whether he will take credit for the work of God whether he will take the credit and draw attention to himself. Do you know that's very popular today, right? That God is at work on the earth today, and men and women love to take credit for the work of God. They love to draw people after themselves. They, they love the applause. They love people following them. They love their name and lights. And they sin greatly by taking God's glory to themselves. It's something not just them. We all have to be careful. I've had to learn this the hard way. We were taught very early on in ministry, even as we teach the men and women in our school ministry the same thing. Listen, if God ever does anything good through you, he gets all the glory. And if there's anything that bad comes from you, that's your fault. That's you. You don't blame God for it. That's us. If we, if we stumble and fall, what are we to do? We're to repent, humble ourselves, and, and allow the truth to come out. We, we aren't to, to respond, well, you know, if it's this and with a bunch of excuses and, well, you know, it's God's fault or, you know, making excuses like you could have, like we learned last time. You know, I'm not going to heal. I'm not going to be a part of it because God wants me to pray. Whatever that might be. God gets all the glory. As a matter of fact, the Bible says it this way. And, and it's so important. Let me just read to you what the Bible says. Isaiah 42, verse 8. I'll read it to you because I like the NLT on this. I am the Lord. That's my name. I will not give my glory to anyone else, nor share my praise with carved idols. God shares his glory with no one. And I've had to learn this the hard way. We were taught, hey, look, Jesus give all the glory to God. Don't get a big head. And my pastor Jeff used to say, you know, there's pastors that get big head and they grow like a balloon, you know, but God has a pen that he can pop it at any moment. And there have been a few seasons in, in my ministry where my head, I did allow, with, through pride and arrogance, my head to get big as if something happened that wasn't God as the origin. And God, and my pastor was correct. You know, you, here's the thing. You, you can humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. That's painful. He'll lift you up. Or God will humble you himself. And that's painful. But either way, God requires humility in our lives. And the less painful way is for you to obey God. Humble yourself. It is not. You are just an instrument. You are just an instrument. And anyone that's used by God has to learn how to give God the glory. 
Like, like for example, in a time like this, just the gifting that God has given to me and pastor teacher, God will use this Bible study. He will use his word and this teaching to minister to many people. And some of those will email me or come up after a service. Thank you. Like the brother last night. Brother comes up last night. He thanks me uh, for the Bible study. It really ministered to his heart. He was here at the right time. And God did a great thing. I have learned over the years to respond to that this way. If someone says, thank you, Pastor Ed, for the Bible study, here's my answer. You are welcome. And then almost immediately in the same breath, I'll say, but isn't God so good that he'd use his word in your life? God gets the glory. You know, there's a human instrument involved, but what happened in his life wasn't me. It was God. It was God taking his word and shooting it right to his heart. And in his story, it was amazing. His story is amazing. He was sharing with me how he was in Texas at a live-in treatment center, and, and now he's out, and he's been sober, check this out, for eight months. Sober for eight months. I mean, we rejoice with the brother. I was able to look at him and go, oh, man, bro, I was eight months once, but I have been sober now for 31 years. 31 years. You see, the glory of God, the strength of God that kept him sober for eight months, he left here knowing, you know what? Eight months can become eight years, can become 16 years. Like, it's not going to be some program that keeps you sober. It's not going to be some steps that keep you sober. The, the sobriety and strength that's in this room comes alone from God. There might be some tools along the way, but, but even being able to look him in the eye and go, not only have I been sober for 31 years, but God has kept me from alcohol completely. I don't want anything to do with it. Why in the world would I go back to something that I've been delivered from? Haven't I learned my lesson that it can destroy me, take me under its, on, under its control, and hurt everyone around me? Why would I go back? Well, but Ed, but Ed, you have freedom. You're right. I have freedom to stay away from something that's so destructive so I can look a guy in the eye right here and say, look, bro, I am sober by the grace of God, and you can too. That's the, that's the power of God. You don't take it, well, you know, I've been sober all this time, and now I'm a pastor, and no, no, you got to step back because the lightning is going to come through here. It's going to, like, you just step back and go, no, 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 you don't take that glory. Thank you. You, you know, you're welcome. I'm glad that the Lord used his word. Isn't he so good that anytime you open the Bible, anytime it's taught to you, the Holy Spirit will make it activate into your life. It's so good. You want to be careful, whether you're a Sunday school teacher, a small group leader, whether you're a worship leader, you have a little prayer meeting, you got a Bible study in your house. Let me tell you something. The first way out of ministry is to take the glory to yourself. That's the first step. It could be the only step that will take you out of ministry completely because God won't share his glory with anyone. We're just instruments. We need to keep that very, you know, we don't, we, we don't want it. Well, you look, at, look, look at us. We're the healers. You know, people will rent out the Pepsi Center and invite everybody in town. Come on out to heal. We'll heal you. We'll heal you. You know, you will heal nobody. It's only God that heals. And he does that sovereignly. He doesn't do what you might see or hear today where charlatans come around and draw attention to themselves. And even during these last couple years, there's this big emphasis on prophets and prophetesses, and you can follow them. Don't you be following prophetesses or prophets. You follow the Lord. You follow the Lord, and you test all things, and you hold fast to what is good. You don't follow some pastor, some pastor and his wife. You've got to learn to follow the Lord. And anything a pastor says, anyone that teaches anything that's taught, you test it, and you hold fast to what is good. Because Jesus himself is the embodiment of sound doctrine. 
He is good. And you don't want to follow man. And you also don't want people to follow you. Peter, he takes the way of escape. Do you know anytime there's a temptation in your life, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, there's always a way of escape. You are never stuck with temptation. God will always make a way for you to escape it. You can always say no. You can always sidestep in the power of the Spirit. You don't, you're, not, you're not overwhelmed to the point where, oh, I just can't get out of this. You can get out of it right now. There is a way of escape available to you right now. You do not have to follow through with the sin you've planned. You don't have to sign those documents. You, you don't have to go through with whatever you've plotted and planned. You can, I think of where we're going to get uh, in, uh, later on in the book of Acts, we're going to look at Ananias and Sapphira. Do you know they could have, they, that, that chapter could have been written differently. They didn't have to lie to the Holy Spirit. And after, after Ananias is wiped out for his lies, it says that Sapphira comes later. You can read ahead. We'll be there soon enough in Acts. It says his wife comes. You know, she didn't have to lie either. They could have changed their mind. And I say that as a word from the Lord to someone today. You can change your mind right now and choose not to sin. You don't have to go through with it. You can choose to follow the Lord and he will honor you. So back in Acts chapter 3, here he is. He says, don't look at us. It's not about us. And then in verse 13, he says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just, and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. You gotta understand something. This, these are heavy words. He says, you guys, you know, you're looking at us like we're something special. And again, this was a momentous time in his ministry. He could have taken all their glory. He could have asked them to fall. You know, he could have built on that, but he did the exact opposite. He spoke the truth in love and said three very hard things. Did you see him? Number one, he said, you delivered up Messiah. Number two, in verse 14, he says, you denied. That's the second time he said that. You denied the Holy One and the just. And then finally, in verse 15, he says, you guys killed him. Now, they didn't literally kill him. And many of them weren't there. The authorities were the ones that handed him over to Rome. So it's not like by their hands they did. So how is it that they denied him? How is it that they turned on him? How is it that they killed him? Their sin. Which... You could say today, as we prepare our hearts for communion, you could say today that it was your sin that put Jesus on the cross. It was mine. These are the very same things that could be said of us because of our sinful ways. Yeah, surely some of them might have said, crucify him, crucify him. And perhaps some of them there listening could be some of the religious rulers there, and they were literally the ones that did this. But you see, we're all guilty because of sin. It's not a select few. And Peter, he knows this is what needs to be shared because he's walking in the Spirit. You ignored the Bible. You ignored and denied and killed the Savior. You know, Peter uses all these paradoxes here to prove a point. He says, Jesus was a servant, but God exalted him. Jesus was a deliverer, but the nation delivered him to Pilate. They rejected the holy and righteous one and they received a murderer, an unholy, unjust murderer. 
They put to death the prince of life, but asked for one who literally took life. And what is he doing but leading them down the road to repentance? So notice with me, he says in verse 16, he says, his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith that comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did your rulers. So so he's leading them down this path, and in order to bring someone to a place of repentance, you have to tell them the truth. The truth about life. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. There isn't an innocent one among us. Here, online, you're listening on the radio right now, you're not innocent. Now, many of us could have sinned in ignorance, and that's where he, you know, it's such a tense time. What does he do? He releases the, the pressure a little bit. He says, but you did it in ignorance. And, you know, you, there can be a little bit of relief there, a little bit of rest. Like, okay, I did it on ignorance. But that doesn't make you innocent. It just makes you ignorant. Ignorance doesn't make you innocent. It doesn't mean you didn't do the deed. You did. But God, he knows you. He cares. He, he acknowledges. He acknowledges your humanity. He recognizes that we have all failed. You know, the psalmist would put it this way in Psalm 103, that that God, he cares for us. He has compassion on us like a dad to his child. That's from the New Living. I paraphrase a little bit because in the old King James and the new King James, it says, like a father, he has pity on us. And it just sounds like he feels sorry for us. He doesn't feel sorry for us. He has a compassion over what we've done to ourselves through sin. Like he had so much more for us, but we chose the route that destroyed us. And he cares about us. He knows. He knows that you're just dust, is what the new King James. He knows you're human. It doesn't excuse you, but he does relate to you. So much so, he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to take on a human body, fully man, fully God, to die on your behalf. He says... In verse 18 now, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has fulfilled. So even though you were involved in it, this was the plan of God all along. God's plan from the foundations of the earth was to send a savior. And with that in mind, he gives the, the turning point in verse 19. He says, repent therefore and be converted. Friend, that's the only answer to your sinful condition. That's it. There's no other, there's no second or third alternative. The only alternative to your condition in life is to repent. This word is so important in the Bible that we're going to spend a whole Bible study on it so I can explain to you from the scriptures what repentance means. It's so important. There will be no one in heaven, no one born again without repentance. And so there's a long definition to repentance that I'll share with you, but suffice it for our time today, the word literally means in the original language to change. It speaks of changing your mind. Because if you will change your mind, your behavior will change. We have it all backwards. Everybody's trying to change their behavior, change their behavior, and they keep going back to it, keep going back to it, keep going back to it. Why? Because you haven't changed your mind. Yeah, maybe you're upset with the consequences and I'm always in trouble. My wife's always mad at me. My husband's always And so you're like, okay, I'll just stop this behavior. No, you have to change your mind. Or, biblically, you have to repent. And you know the pathway of repentance deals with truth 
And the conclusion of truth is a godly sorrow. Not a sorrow and sadness, oh, I got caught, but a godly sorrow that I've sinned against a holy and a righteous God, that I'm far from him, that my life doesn't honor him. I say I'm a Christian, but I live this way. Or I don't want anything to do with Christianity. I mean, I think of some that might even be here today. Here's the day. This is the day that finally you visited this church. You've been putting it off, putting it off. You don't want to come, don't want anything to do with church. I get it. It's how I walked into a church. I totally get it. But your deal has always been, I don't go to church because it's filled with hypocrites. And what does the pastor talk about? The hypocrisy in the room. And then you're sitting there going, yeah, yeah, a bunch of hypocrites. He agrees with me. I, I actually do. I do. The biggest hypocrites a few feet off the ground right now. Yeah. There are always inconsistencies in our lives, for sure. Keeps us humble and dependent upon the Lord, and they get less and less as we get closer to the Lord. But can I ask you a question? If you're unwilling to acknowledge that you're a sinner, but you continue to live in sin, saying that you're a good person, who's the bigger hypocrite? If the room is filled with hypocrites, which there are inconsistencies among us, and we readily admit that, but have you ever considered your life? Oh, I'm a good person. Yeah, but look at your life. You call that good? And on what scale? Doesn't good keep changing depending on your behavior? Who's the bigger hypocrite? They go, oh, man, that wasn't nice, man. That's low. That's not nice. Yeah, but you need to hear the truth. You've been living behind this excuse for so long overlooking the inconsistencies in your life. And why would God even have you here today except to hear how much he loves you and cares for you even with those inconsistencies? Because those believers that are hip hypocritical, many of them actually are not wanting that. They don't wake up in the morning going, I want to be the biggest hypocrite today. But rather, there's a battle in their lives between living for God and living their old way of life. And unfortunately, the old ways can overtake us very quickly, and we readily agree to them, which you interpret as hypocrisy. But you have to ask yourself, who's the bigger hypocrite? Because the truth is, with believer and unbeliever alike, the room is filled with all of us that have hypocrisies in our lives. All of us. And the way the Bible says that is that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There isn't an innocent one in that room. There isn't anyone innocent. We all must repent and be converted. So what? That your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That he might send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. The times of refreshing, I find no more refreshing thought than to think my sins have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. That he has wiped away the guilt and shame from my life. Because there is a lot of regret in our lives, is there not? We look back and we, we could have and we should have and we wish we would. And, and all of it's like there's so much regret. But if our sins have been blotted out, then we can't live in regret. We need to press on. We need to live a life that's not in the past, and there's nothing we can do about the past. Can't change one part of it, but we can certainly deal with today. We can make new decisions today. Times of refreshing means now as you're converted and you're born again, you can make different decisions for your life. Yes, I know, we've all got a past, some better than others, 
But our past is our past. Now we're living for the Lord. We're pressing on. We're moving forward. You're living with the freedom. That word blotted out from the Greek talks about erasure. And the idea is in the ancient world, the ink that was used didn't have the kind of acids that we have in ink today. So that when you write on a, with, with a ballpoint pen or with a marker, you, you can't just wipe it off. Um, you know, the erasers they used to give us just destroy the paper, but doesn't take the ink off. But in the ancient day, the inks were much more, much more simpler with all the, without all these acids. So when they would write on the, the vellum or they'd write on the papyrus, it would be very easy for them to wipe the ink away. It's just to wipe it away. And that's the idea behind this word, blot it out. Just wipe it away. It's not that it didn't happen. It did. But by the blood of Jesus Christ, it's not held against you anymore. I'm telling you, that's pretty refreshing. That God had give you a new start. Give you eight days of sobriety. Eight weeks of sobriety. Eight months. Eight years. A lifetime. A legacy into the presence of Jesus. Delivered from the difficulties of this world. And that's what he tells them. He's going to send Jesus. Times are refreshing. But not only that, verse 21, it also points to the times of restoration. For you Bible students, you know that this is a reference to the time where King Jesus will rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years. We call that the millennial period. So not only will you be in, enjoying the refreshing times of now, but there's coming a day where kings and kingdoms, they pass away, presidents and, and, and cabinets, and they all pass away. They come and go. But King Jesus, can you imagine, just in your holy imagination, what it will be like to live on the earth under the rulership of Jesus Christ, to rule and reign with Jesus forever, all eternity, this stuff is going to pass away. It's all temporary. But God is going to restore what has been broken to what he desires. That's all wrapped up here. And then he goes on to say about Moses in verse 22. He says, you know, Moses talked about this. He prophesied it. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet from me like your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things. Whatever he says to you and it shall come to pass that every soul who will not hear the prophet shall be utterly destroyed. So there's a danger, repent or be destroyed. And then he says, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many have spoken, have foretold these days too. This isn't a surprise. These are men that knew the Bible, studied the Bible, was in synagogue all the time, and Peter's taking advantage of that. You guys like Moses, he said this. You like all the prophets, they said this. You are sons of the prophets, verse 25. You, have a re you don't just revere them, you are related to them. And he says, you are sons of the covenant which God made with our fathers, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So to you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Again, if you'd like to write in your Bibles, would you just note that? It would be easy to pass it over, but I don't want to. Jesus was sent to bless you. That's his purpose in life. He's sent to bless you. Yes, he's going to tell you the truth. Yes, he's going to reveal sin. Yes, it's going to be a battle. Yes, there's a flood. Yes, Jesus, he was sent to bless you, to revolutionize your life. Not for you to give a little piece here and a little piece there, and maybe I'll do this, and maybe I'll. No, he, he came to bless you by taking over your life, by giving you times of refreshing, by restoring what the years have been eaten up, by, by restoring what has been lost through sin. Jesus came to bless you. Would you just let that soak in as we come to the communion table? 
one of the things to remember is Jesus came to bless you. He came to bless you. Why? Because God loves you. There's no way around it. God's love for you is so immense that it's even hard to to conceive of the greatness of his love for us, his care and concern for us. And I don't want you to miss in chapter three now, looking back at Peter and John, that what began as a possible interruption was yielded to the Holy Spirit as a divine appointment. And that divine appointment, as he seized the opportunity, led to an open door to share the gospel. And a guy got healed that was lame his entire life. And he's jumping and leaping and clinging to them. And and a whole group of people come, because they know this guy, they they walk by him all the time too. And God has everybody's attention. Why? Because he cares about the lame man, but he also cares about everyone else. He, He cares for everyone on the earth today. He cares for you. And our lives are a lot like that. If we will just embrace the opportunities, not be so mad about them, so frustrated about them, it's my time, my schedule, my life, but yield our lives, our time, our schedule, our life to the one who has open door after open door available to us. Because God is opening doors all around us to share the gospel, to love people in Jesus' name, to practically serve them. And even as we are walking into more difficult times, The Lord is with us. We're not alone. And let's remember that as we come to the communion table. So Father, we pray for your spirit to speak to us. It's been, you know, it's been a kind of a heavy morning this morning, Father. But I am grateful that you gave that impression to give opportunity for testimony, to give opportunity for care and concern so that the church, we, more than a text message, more than a notification, more than an email. But these are real, live people, a part of our church family. Even if this is the only time they've ever been here, this is, they're our friends. And because they're our friends, their family's our friends. And we care for them. And so enlarge our hearts, God. Enlarge our hearts. Forgive us for being sidetracked. For, for, for you know, yielding to our flesh. Not walking in love. And thank you, God, for helping us to walk in the Spirit, to walk in love. And let today be forever ingrained in us that what happens around the world affects us today because people are connected to people that are connected to people. And as we prepare our hearts to take of the elements, may you have your way with us in Jesus' name. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.